have you there. And so again, just talk with Tony after that. Be praying for Barbara and her family this morning. Um, as Tony said, my name is Ryan. Opportunity to give you the word this morning. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, so as we get started, I'd like to do what I always do, and that's just to go to the Lord in prayer and ask him uh, to take over this service. And so if you will just bow with me. Dear Father, I do want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to come here today and to be able to worship you, to be able to, to, to go to you and, and open up your word, and to learn from you, God. I pray that every individual in here today will walk out if you're challenged and changed, uh, myself included, God. We love you. It is in your name I pray. Amen. How many of you in here this morning will say that you love reading books? If you love just sitting back, relaxing, opening up a good book. Raise your hand. I want you to get involved. You love reading books, right? You love sitting back, relaxing, getting into a good book. Cool. So that sounds exciting to you. You just thoroughly enjoy the relaxation of reading a book. Awesome. Congratulations. Uh, how many of you would say, forget the book, just watch the movie? <laughs> yes. Okay. I, I feel you. And I'm going to keep my hand raised on that one. I'm sorry, book people. I'm team movie, right? To me, to me, it's the same thing, right? I mean, you get to see the same story. Uh, you still get to relax, but instead of finding your reading glasses, uh, you get a big old thing of popcorn and a soda, right? And it takes three hours instead of three days, or for some people, three years. I think, <laughs> I think that, that it just well, movies, they're better. Now, if you're, if you're a book reader, you're going to look at me, you're going to say, that's not true, Ryan, it's not the same. It's not. You don't get as much detail. You don't feel like you can paint the picture as well. You don't get as involved in the, in the movie as you do the book. Oh my goodness, the book is just so much better, right? If you're a book reader, do you, do you agree? That's true. I see a bunch of nods. Okay, and if you're the movie watcher, you look back at the book and you say, yes, you can. <laughs> I'm sorry. I say books are better. And so, you know, I could probably stand up here with this entire entire service and talk about which one was better. You know, we can argue back and forth. What's better, reading a book or watching a movie? I don't think we'd ever come to an agreement, but there is something that we can agree on, and that is that we love to get involved in the story. Whether we're reading the book or we're watching a movie, we're watching a drama or a skit, we love to get involved. We, we get Almost like we know the characters, we get involved with the characters. We follow the story and our emotions change as the story progresses. We feel like we've, we've jumped into the scene almost as if we're there, right? That's, that's how we relate to the story. That's how we relate to it. So regardless if we're reading the book or we're watching the movie, we love to get involved. You know, that's not always the case when we read the Bible. I mean, it's a book. But sometimes it's hard to get involved in the Word. It is. Sometimes it's difficult to read. The story doesn't flow. It's not easy to jump into the story, especially if you're reading like Leviticus, right? It's challenging. And so sometimes, if we're not careful, we can get lost in the text. We'll read Scripture because we've committed to reading Scripture, but we've not allowed it to speak to us. We haven't allowed ourselves to get involved. This passage that we're going to look at this morning, it's 1 Samuel 24, and you can go ahead and turn with me to that passage. Now, it's not that way. It's an easy read. I mean, it's very easy to follow. It's easy to jump in. And so when we're reading this passage this morning, I want you to try to picture yourself there. Like if you were reading a good book, if you were 
watching a movie. Allow yourself to get involved. Allow yourself to get attached to the characters. It's going to change the way you interpret this text. It'll really change the way you interpret Scripture as a whole. And you'll be able to apply it to your life more this morning. So what I want to do is I want to read it in its entirety. And then after that, I want to go back and I want to break it down a little bit more. So again, turn with me. 1 Samuel 24. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. So I'll go ahead and start reading now. It says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now he came to a sheep's pen along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, Lord, forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Then David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not lay my hand on my, on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at the piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evildoers, so my hand will not touch you. Now you may be, some of you may be pretty familiar with this passage, but I still want to give you some background information on what has led up to this event. If you go back to 1 Samuel, and you don't have to flip through this because I'm going to go pretty quickly, but if you go back to 1 Samuel 8 and you look at verses 6 through 22, through 22 you'll see that Samuel, he was the last and the greatest of all judges, um, he tries to warn the Israelites of the troubles that would come if they were to appoint an earthly king. So they followed God, they followed a heavenly king. But they didn't want to. They wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted to have an earthly king. And so they were asking God, they were asking, can we have an earthly king? And so Samuel says, look, trouble will come if you do this. But they persisted. They, were, they wanted one. And so despite Samuel's warning, God allowed them to have an earthly king. And so if you look at 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2, 1 and 2 you'll see that God chose Saul, the son of Kish, to be that earthly king. Continuing on through the book of Samuel, you'll see that Saul started off as a pretty good king. He listened to God. He followed God's direction. He followed God's plan. Again, God is the one that anointed him and allowed him to be king. And so he followed him and he was a good king. But eventually, he stopped listening to God. He started going in his own direction. And because of that, in chapter 13, God actually took away that kingship. He lost that kingship. Now, he was still the king of Israel in the eyes of Israel, 
but in the eyes of God, he wasn't because he decided to go in his own direction. So when Samuel chapter 16, Samuel goes to Bethlehem and he, and he anoints David, son of Jesse, as the new king, once again anointed by God through, Jesse, I mean, through Samuel. And while David patiently awaits this opportunity to become king and to actually be the acting king, he does things like kill Goliath, right? People probably remember that. He kills Goliath and he, he plays music for Saul, um, and his family becomes very, very um, close to Saul's family. Actually becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And he becomes very, very popular amongst all the people of Israel. He is known as a great warrior. And because of this, Saul becomes pretty jealous of David. It says in 1 Samuel 18 that people viewed Saul as a man that killed thousands. But they viewed, they viewed David as a man that killed tens of thousands. Right? And so Saul saw David as a threat to his throne. He said, look, this, this man, they're, they're, the people of Israel, they're liking him more than me. He became jealous of David, and so he decided, I've got to kill him. I've got to do something. I've got to kill David. And after many failed attempts on David's life, we pick back up today in verse 20. I mean, in chapter 24, which is, where we, which is what we read this morning. And so that's the brief overview of the text, and hopefully you've been able to paint somewhat of a picture of what's going on, right? And now I want to dive back in, and I want to break down verse by verse what exactly is going on. And so if you would go back with me to verse 1, verses 1 through 3. And it says, When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the wilderness near En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's choice men and went to look for David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. When Saul came to the sheep's pen along the road, a cave was there, and he went in to relieve himself. David and his men were staying in the back of the cave. So at this time, obviously, you've got Saul. He's been trying to kill David. And so David's got himself a couple bodyguards, right? So he's got about 600 men that are with him right now. And they're hiding amongst the rocks in the caves uh, to protect themselves from Saul. But because of Saul's obsession, his determination to kill David, he takes 3,000 of Israel's best warriors to go and hunt down David and his 600 men. So you got 3,001 versus 601, right? And at a certain point in time, Saul decides, you know what, I've got to go, I've got to go relieve myself. Um, so, so think about this. You've got 3,001 men walking around the wilderness trying to hunt down David. And then the leader of the, of the group, King Saul, says, hold on, I, I'm going to leave you all right now. I know you're my bodyguards. I know you're protecting me, but I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go off in this cave by myself. Some commentaries will tell you um, that he was tired and had to take a nap. But there's some s- skeptics about that because you wouldn't, as a king, leave and go by yourself to nap. Um, that would be an you know, obviously an opportunity for someone to creep up and kill you. Um, so more commentaries will tell you that what he had to do is he had to take care of physical needs, a.k.a. he had to go to the bathroom. So that's what I'm sticking with, right? Saul had to leave his group of 3,000 to go into a cave and use the restroom. Now I want to pause here for a second, and I want to give you my, I guess, your first point of application. This morning I want to give you three points of application today, and so I'm going to give you my first one. You're probably thinking, how in the world are you going to give me an application off uh, Saul going to the restroom. But here it is, right here. Listen carefully. It says, jealousy and selfish ambition will lead you in the wrong direction. Hear me again when I say that. Jealousy and selfish ambition, it will lead you 
in the wrong direction. Guys, Saul had absolutely no business at all, no business at all, going out and trying to hunt down David. I mean, he had just got done pursuing the Philistines. That's what it said in verse 1. He just got done pursuing the Philistines, and now instead of ruling as the king or letting his 3,000 men rest and spend time with family, he's hunting down a man that has no desire to harm him in the first place. Why? Out of jealousy and out of selfish ambition. David was a threat. And so Saul decided, I've got to get rid of him no matter what. You know, a lot of people, they read this passage and they focus in on David and they never look at Saul, which I can understand that. Saul is nothing more than another bad king. But I think that we can learn something if we look at Saul. You see, God had a plan for Saul. He was the one that anointed him as the king in the first place. He had a plan for him and a direction for him. But Saul chose to go in another direction. Out of jealousy and selfish ambition, he decided to go in his own direction. But remember this. By doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, you're also failing to do what you are supposed to be doing. And we do that all the time. Saul was more worried about David and God's plan for David than he was about himself and God's plan for him. I mean, have you ever done that? Have you ever been so consumed with somebody else that you, all you do is just think about them and what they have? You start almost wanting to become them, or at least you want them to fail so that you can succeed? That's jealousy. That's selfish ambition. And that right there, it's a natural emotion. I think we all have something inside of us, regardless if we're 2 years old, 30 years old, or 85 years old. There's something within us that says me, me, me. And I talked about that when I talked about pride. There's always something in us. But we must consciously turn from that jealousy, that selfish ambition. We must, we must daily remind ourselves to turn from that and to turn to Christ before we end up walking in the wrong direction. My dad used to always say something. I think it stuck with me. Um, I've shared this with the youth. Uh, you can't go to the East Coast if you're, if you're riding in a car that's driving to the West Coast, right? It's common sense. People think that all the time. Why, you know, I've got this girlfriend, really, really love her, awesome. You know, she's going in this direction. I'm going to go ahead and ride with her. The only problem is, look, you're wanting to go to the East Coast, not the West Coast. You've got to hop out the car. You're going in the wrong direction. We have to daily remind ourselves that if we want to be walking with God, we've got to be riding with God. We've got to be going in the direction that he wants us to go. Now I want to go back to the text. Saul had to go into the cave in verse 3 to relieve himself. But it just so happens that David and the 600 men were in the exact same, apparently very, very large cave, right? Hiding in the back. He was pretty much handed to David on a silver platter that day. And in verse 4 it says, Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, today the Lord is telling you that I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So how does David respond to this? He creeps up and he cuts off a piece of Saul's robe. It's pretty simple, right? The person that's been attacking or hunting you down, trying to kill you, walks into a cave by himself and you think, hmm, that's a good idea. I'm just going to snip his robe. But how he responds is what's crazy to me. David starts to feel guilty for cutting off part of his robe. He says, I will never do such a thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hand against him. 
since he is the Lord's anointed. He didn't even kill the man. He just cut off part of his clothes, and he starts to feel guilty. And I think what's, ama- what's amazing is although Saul is, is in rebellion with God, he's going in the opposite direction, David still views him and sees him as the man that was anointed by God to be the king. He, he recognizes the fact that he had no right to kill this man that was appointed as the king. He knew that one day he would be king, but not today. It was in God's time, not in his own. I think that David's guilty conscience is what makes us know that he was a man of God's heart. I think that right there was what shows that he was the right man for the job, that he was, had the right to be the king. So what does he do instead? He says in verse 7 that he sharply rebukes his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. So he left, so Saul leaves the cave and he goes on his way. Can you imagine this, right? We're jumping in, we're painting this picture, we're there. Can you imagine this? 3,000 men are coming to attack you, and then the one person that's leading all of them, he comes into the cave by himself. You've got all your men there. You can kill him just like that. All your worries are done. Boom. No more man trying to hunt me. No more man trying to kill me. But instead, he feels guilty for cutting off the man's clothes. That's crazy. If it was you, would you have killed him? I mean, I probably would have killed him. But see, that right there, that's what leads me to my second point of application. And that is, do not let your actions be dictated by others. Hear me again, do not let your actions be dictated by, or, by others. I can personally attest to how hard that is. I just admitted that I probably would have killed him. Seems like the logical thing to do. If someone has wronged you, then you want nothing more than to retaliate. But we cannot let their actions influence us. We must let God dictate our actions. We must mimic God's actions, Jesus Christ's actions. I want you to think back to when you were a kid. Do you remember that kid that used to bully you all the time? Maybe you were the bully, and if you were, shame on you. But think back to that kid that used to bully you all the time, that used to make you feel awful. I can think of multiple people right now. There's this one kid, I won't say his name, used to flick me in the nose. Used to call me big nose, used to ask me how many birds would chirp on my nose all the time. Oh man, used to just eat me up. I wanted to punch that kid in the face. But I was scared, right? So all I really wanted to do, this thing is messing up, I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to, you just have to deal with me continuously touching it. All I wanted to do was just punch this kid in the face, but I was scared. So instead, I just wanted to grow up. So man, if I could just not be a kid anymore, if I could just be an adult, being an adult will be so much better. This kid will be out of my life. I won't have to deal with him anymore. But when you grow up, whether you're a youth or whether you're an adult, kid's still there. It might be a different individual. It might be different ways of picking, but they're still there. Whether it's a coworker, whether it's someone at school, whether it's a family member, your boss, a random person at the grocery store trying to get the last bread before Hurricane Florence comes in, Right? For me, it's just that person that drives past me on the road and then slows down, cuts me off, and then has the audacity to turn around and flip me off. Like, oh my goodness, I just want to give him the bird right back, right? <laughs> that all just eats you up. When people have wronged you, all you want to do is retaliate. All you want to do is do exactly to them what they did to you, right? Treat others the way that you were treated not the way you wanted to be treated. You just want to retaliate. But you know that's not what God wants for you. You know that you have to be held to a higher standard. That type of situation is the perfect opportunity for you to go to that old saying, what would Jesus do? How would he react? How would he respond? We cannot let other people 
influence how we act. If I let my actions be dictated by others, I would have been out of the ministry a very long time ago. I'll be honest, I have a temper. My wife will tell you. Uh, I can get hot sometimes, and my, my life verse, again, I've shared this, and I'll share it again. My life verse is James 1.19. My youth can probably quote it because of the amount of times I've said that. I wrote it in my wallet to remind me. You've got to be quick to listen. You've got to be slow to speak, and you've got to be slow to anger. For anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I've got to remind myself of that. You have to listen to that. Quick to listen, Ryan. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. But if I, if I let the actions of other people dictate my own, my first response would be anger. Would yours? So what's the alternative? We've got to go to God. We, got, we have to allow God to dictate our actions. We have to, to go to Him daily. Do not let the actions of other people dictate your own, but let God dictate your actions. Now, please don't misunderstand me, though. I'm not saying that you can't confront someone when they've wronged you. If you go back to the text, you'll see that David does just that. He got out of the cave and he confronts Saul. It says in verse 8 that after that, David got up, went out of the cave, and called to Saul, My Lord the King. Saul looked behind him, and David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. See, he confronted Saul, but he did it with humility. Right? Saul pictured David as this huge threat to his throne. But David didn't walk out like a warrior with his chest bucked up, ready to fight, ready to say, show him who's boss. No, he got down on the ground. He put his knees on the ground and said, I am your servant. I'm not here to harm you. But here's the deal, man. You're doing me wrong. He confronted him, but he did it with humility. David then questions Saul. He says, why? Why do you listen to the words of people who say, look, David intend to harm you? You can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. Someone advised me to kill you, but I took pity on you. And I said, I won't lift my hand against my Lord since he is the Lord's anointed. And then he shows them the evidence. He pulls up the cloth and he says, see, my father, look at the corner of the robe in my hand, for I cut it off. But I didn't kill you. Look and recognize there is no evil rebellion in me. I haven't sinned against you even though you're hunting me down to take my life. What an incredible example of how to handle conflict, right? That's how you react. Do not let the actions of others dictate your own. Let God. He handled the conflict, but he did it with humility. And then he continues on. Not only does he call out Saul, he continues on by giving a declaration of his faith in the Lord. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you. And may the Lord take vengeance on you for me. So look, he's telling him, look, I'm not happy with you, Saul, but it's not my decision, it's God's. I'm giving this to God. May, may my hand will never be against you. As the old proverb says, wickedness comes from wicked people. My hand will never be against you. Which brings me to my third and final point, and, and really it's the most important point of today, and that is to trust God's voice. Hear God's voice. And then trust God's voice. I want to take a moment to pause from the sermon, and I'd like to show you a short little video. Now, I'm going to warn you, this video is 10 years old, so the quality is not great, uh, but it, the message is so powerful.
so powerful and it's so spot on for what we're talking about right now in relation to, to trusting God's voice. And so this, this video is called The Lifehouse Everything Skit. Many of you have probably seen it before. I know my youth have because I've showed them this before. In case you haven't wondered, I've said that a lot. I love this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture is actually one of the first passages of Scripture that I shared with the youth when I got here. This is back when we were in the youth house. Because I love David. I love the example. Um, and, and so I share within this passage. And so I've also shared within this video. But this, this video is called The Lifehouse Everything Skit. And I want you, when you're watching it, I want you to focus on this young lady in the black t-shirt and how she struggles with all these voices inside of her head. The voices of other people telling her how to live and who to be, her own voice questioning how to live and who to be, and then also the voice of God and this decision that she has to make whether to follow others or to follow in God's direction. So again, if you would just watch this video now and I hope you enjoy.
Powerful video, right? You know, there are voices everywhere in this world. There's voices on the radio, voices on the news, voices of, of your friends, your family, your colleagues. This world is full of voices. For every Christian, there are three voices that you may hear. The voice of others, your own voice, and then the voice of God. For David, he heard those voices. He heard the voice of, of his men in that cave. He heard his own voice telling him what, what he should do. And then he heard the voice of God. I'm sure that with all that had, had been happening, he was pretty hesitant of, of, you know, to spare Saul's life, especially with the voice of his men telling him to kill him. It's probably even harder for him to, to walk out of that cave and then to bow down to Saul and say, here I am, Saul, your servant. But he was able to because he, he listened to God's voice. He heard God's voice and he trusted it. He trusted God's voice. He said, you know what, God, it's in your hands. The question is, do you have that kind of trust in our Lord? When I first started this morning, I challenged you to jump into the text, to get involved with the story, to paint this picture of what's been going on. And I hope you've been able to do that, to, to be able to, to feel and witness David as he humbled himself and presented himself as a servant to Saul, as, as he gave himself to the Lord and he trusted in God's voice. But now I want you to go a little step further. I want you to replace David with yourself. Simple fact is, we are David. If you haven't been in David's shoes yet, you will be one day. You will be faced with the choice to listen to the crowd, saying, do it, do it, do it, just like that middle school kid in the lunchroom, in the cafeteria, about to get into his first fist fight, right? You'll have that choice to listen to the crowd. You'll also have the the choice to listen to yourself saying, me, 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 do it for me. Or you can listen to God's voice. David chose God. Who will you choose? I mean, David could have easily let the, je the jealousy and the selfish ambition lead him in the wrong direction. After all, he was, he was the one that had the right to be the king in the first place. But he chose to trust God's voice. David could have easily let the actions of Saul dictate his own. But once again, he chose to trust God's voice. In this video that we just watched, the young girl, she represents David. She represents you. She represents me. She represents every single person in this room. You see, this video, it was done by a youth group 10 years ago. I actually had the opportunity to perform this skit, I was going to show you that video, but the quality was even worse, and so I chose not to. Uh, but when, when I performed the skit, when I watched the skit, I mean, it hit me hard. Because that's the type of stuff that I was going through. That's the voices that I heard. Those are the voices that my friends, that we heard. The voice of, of love at any cost. The voice of money and possession to bring you ultimate happiness. The voice of substance or popularity or your looks. To, to fill you up and to make you whole, or even the voice that says, just throw in the towel, this life, it's not worth it. Right? These are the voices that young people hear. And we think that one day they're going to go away, just like that little bully, but they don't. They stay with you and they call to you. But church, so does God. 
So does God. If you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the power of the Holy Spirit, he lives within you. He lives inside of you. And his voice, it stays constant with you. You know, David, he had encounters with God on numerous occasions. I mean, he talked to God a lot. But he didn't have Christ inside of him because Jesus hadn't came yet. Jesus hadn't died on the cross. Jesus hadn't paid the ultimate sacrifice yet. And so the power of the Holy Spirit didn't live within David. <laughs> if you're a Christian here today, it does. You have Jesus with you always. You can talk to him always. You can hear his voice and trust his voice always. So as you go through life, will you listen? Will you trust it? The question is how. I mean, how, how do we trust God's voice Oftentimes we say, well, you know, hearing God's voice just pretty much sounds like you talking to you. So how can I differentiate between my own voice and God's voice? Well, how did David? The answer is he talked to God. David talked to God a lot. So he knew what God's voice sounded like because he had personal encounters with God on the daily basis. He talked to God. Truthfully, a lot of times, Hear me when I say this. A lot of times we're satisfied with hearing God's voice and God's opinion through other people's voice. It's great to have wise counsel, and so we go to those who are wise in the faith. But if you depend on your parents or your relatives or your Sunday school teacher or Jack Holmesley to tell you what God is saying, then you will, and you never talk to God yourself, you will not hear God's voice and you will not be able to trust God's voice. You've got to talk to God. We have to personally go to God. We got to pray to him daily. We got to give ourselves to him daily. And you know what? We have to open up the word. We have to open up the word and we have to let God talk back to us. This is how he communicates to us. You got to go to God and you got to allow him to speak back to you. And when you read it, when you read it, church, you got to embrace it. You got to trust it. Because this is his voice. This time, church, you can't watch the movie. This time, you got to read the book. By opening up his word, by jumping in, and by getting involved in this book. Like you've never been involved in a book before. That's how you trust God's voice. Church, I want you, I want you to, to not let jealousy and selfish ambition lead you in the wrong direction. I want you to not allow others' actions to dictate your own, but most importantly, I want you to trust God's voice. Don't leave here today without committing to make a change, to do something, to speak to God, so allow him to speak back to you. He's the only voice that I want to hear. Shouldn't the end of that video? She chose God. She fought for God, and you see what God did. He jumped in, and he saved her. That's my prayer for each and every one of you. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, as I said at the beginning, I pray that every single person in here today will be able to apply this to life and be able to walk out of here challenged and changed. This morning, if... if an individual is, is struggling to hear your voice... God, I pray that they will make a commitment to do what is necessary 
to be able to hear you, that they will make a commitment to speak to you, to go to you daily, God, and to open up your word and allow you to talk back. God, I pray that they will make that decision today. There's someone in this room today, Lord, that does not know you. I pray that they will walk out of here knowing your love and your sacrifice, and they will be able to hear your voice. This morning, the altar's open. God's working in your heart. I pray that you will come up here. You will bow on your knees like David did. And you will cry out to our Heavenly Father, God, work in the lives of every person here at Calvary Baptist Church. It's in your name I pray. Amen.